Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jim Husson. I'm Boston College's Senior Vice President for University Advancement. It's my pleasure to welcome you to today's Beacon Leadership Conversation. Before I introduce today's guests, I'd like to say a word about our next Beacon Leadership Conversation. Since the killing of George Floyd, we've witnessed an unprecedented level of activism as our nation continues to struggle with racism and racial injustice. As we read in last week's letter from the university, this has prompted Boston College to launch a Forum on Racial Justice in America, an initiative that we hope will both foster dialogue and serve as a catalyst for bridging differences and bringing us together. On Monday, June 29th, I'll have the pleasure of hosting a Beacon Leadership Conversation with Vincent Rougeau, Dean of the Boston College Law School, and Heather Cox Richardson, one of BC's most accomplished history professors. Dean Rougeau will be our forum's first director, and he brings both skill and wisdom to this role. Professor Richardson, an author of a number of best-selling books, including most recently, How the South Won the Civil War, is widely regarded as an expert in the politics of Reconstruction. I hope you can join me on the 29th for what promises to be an important and consequential conversation with two of Boston College's leaders. But today, we turn our attention to members of the Boston College community who are, in different ways, on the front lines of COVID in healthcare and in healthcare education. In 2008, Susan Gennaro was named Dean of the William F. Cannell School of Nursing. Prior to her arrival in the Heights, Dean Gennaro held roles at NYU, the University of Pennsylvania, and the University of Alabama in Birmingham. A nationally recognized NIH-funded researcher Dean Gennaro is also the editor of the Journal of Nursing Scholarship. And over the past decade at Boston College, she's led numerous initiatives to build on the Cannell School's traditional strengths while also taking the school in important new directions. We're also going to be joined today by two alumni of the Cannell School. Aristotle Boslett graduated from Cannell in 2018 and is a full-time ICU nurse at Mount Auburn Hospital in Cambridge. As a student, Aristotle was an undergraduate research fellow whose work focused on palliative care in the ICE, and he worked on a project to provide health care to marginalized communities in the Dominican Republic. Adeline Egan also graduated from Cannell in 2018. Today, she's an emergency room nurse at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Addie was an undergraduate research fellow at BC as well. She was active with Healthcare for the Homeless and a number of other service initiatives during her time at the Heights. We're gonna invite Aristotle and Addie into our conversation in just a bit. But first, let me invite my friend, Susan Gennaro to join us. Susan, are you there? Yep, here I am. Good to see you, Susan. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Susan, before we start, let me just say a word to our, our friends who are joining us on the webinar. I'm gonna engage with Susan in a conversation later with Aristotle and Addie. Well, I'll also be happy to field questions that come from our participants on the webinar. You should see a Q&A button there. If you use that to pose a question, I'll do my best to ask questions that are representative of what we're hearing. And Susan, you'll be happy to know we've received a lot of questions already, including from uh, many alums of the nursing school and a lot of people sending you their well wishes as, as I do today. It's great to, great to see you. I'm here in the Cadigan Alumni Center. You're over there in Maloney Hall. Not many people probably in between us today, are there? It's okay. It is okay. Susan, uh, I said a little bit about your background, but before we touch on things related to COVID, um, maybe just say a little bit to introduce yourself to people who aren't as familiar with the nursing school or your work or on the call. 
Would you mind sharing a little bit about what brought you to BC? And when you think about the work of the Canal School of Nursing, what are some of your and the faculty's greatest sources of pride in the work you do? Happy to do that. Um, when I think about what brought me here, you know, this is something that my husband and I tell the story and we have two different ways we tell it. I always say, I was never going to be a dean. I didn't want to be a dean. I didn't think I had any talents to be a dean. And he always says, except you always said, unless Boston College called. And it is true that I went to a Jesuit and Catholic University, Lemoyne College, and I was always very attracted to Boston College because it is the best Jesuit nursing school in the world. I think I can say that. And so was delighted when I had the opportunity to talk to people about being the dean and was delighted for a lot of reasons. One um, was because of what being a Jesuit and Catholic University means. The other was because I knew the support that the school had. I read with great interest when um, the school was named the William F. Cannell School. Uh, it has been a true pleasure um, to work with the Cannell family. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to meet Mr. Cannell um, over the time that I've been here. And I have to say, I think it was a good decision to come because when I look at all the people that signed up to be on this call today for this webinar, so many friends and so many people that have supported the school, not, I mean, not, I don't say not just parents and alumni, but people that have given their time, their intelligence, their passion, money, all kinds of resources to help us to move where we want to go. And so, you know, when I came, I came and talked to all the faculty and the staff about where they were interested in going. And we jointly had a number of initiatives that were really important to us. And that was making sure we were doing the best teaching, creating the best nurses, educating the best nurses from a Jesuit and Catholic institution. So we care a lot about formation, that we were really creating the science because nursing needs the scientists that we were preparing nurses who were global citizens because it's so important. And we certainly see that with COVID. And that we were creating a um, community that was diverse and inclusive. And that's been something we've been working on a long time. I have to say, I was thrilled to hear you um, say that Vince Rougeau was gonna be the next speaker in this series because it's a time that we all have to be renewing our efforts and I'm so glad for all the things we've been able to do and look forward to the things we will be able to do. So those were the major things that we set out to do and with a little help from our friends, I think we've come a long way, still a way to go, but you know, we know that ever to excel is yeah. the answer. It's true, and it's true. We have come a long way and there are still things to do. And so you said something a minute ago that I want to come back to. It touches on trends in nursing education today. Um, what's, you know, for alums who are on the call who, you know, may be familiar with the nursing school because they attended a generation ago, um, what's new today? What's, what's going on in the School of Nursing today that has changed in ways that are significant from a generation or two ago? So I think in our undergraduate program, we have, um, added some experiences, experiential learning. We have a, more than 70% of our undergraduate students either spend a semester abroad or have some 
global experience while they're here. We have trips that go to the Dominican Republic, to Nicaragua, although this year we had to go to Guatemala because of political unrest, um, Haiti, this year we had to go to Jamaica because of how things um, were in Haiti, but we continue to work with our collaborators in Haiti and Nicaragua. And we're also in Chile and um, have a wonderful course that we give in the summer where we have, this summer we were supposed to have people from three of our major Catholic universities, um, Catolica in Portugal, Australia Catholic from Australia, Puk from Chile, join us with our Swiss colleagues to really think about how what healthcare globally needs to do. So I think one of the things for undergraduates is that um, we really thought about how we not only educate the very best nurses, but the very best nurse leaders. For our graduate program, we weren't first one on this um, plan because we wanted to make sure that, well, we wanted to be thoughtful, but we did this year start our Doctor of Nursing Practice program so that all of our NPs in the future will graduate with a Doctor of Nursing Practice and the added skills that the healthcare system needs. So I think we've done a lot of um, different things. Yeah. And, you know, the experiential thing, that part of the work you do in the School of Nursing brings to mind the disruption of this past spring and, you know, where everything is going, you know, forward with, you know, undergraduate education and graduate student education um, in, our, in our world. So talk a little bit, because I have to imagine, Susan, that for the School of Nursing, it had a different kind of impact in terms of having to send students home early. You think of clinical trials and all the things that students are involved with that can't be done, you know, in a bedroom in somebody's home. So would you talk a little bit about what your experience was like with the shift of the spring and what your outlook is going forward in a world where maybe there are going to be future disruptions? Oh, there are gonna be future disruptions. So, you know, March was a shocking month and it, it wasn't so shocking that we closed it because our students were able to stay, our undergraduate students were able to stay in the dorms what got shocking was how many healthcare systems, when you might've thought that they needed help more than ever, weren't able to have extra people there in part because of de-densification, but in larger part in the beginning because of lack of protective, protective, personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. And so as we heard from one healthcare system after another, and our NPs heard from one um, setting after another that they couldn't come back anymore. We had to think about pivoting really quickly to think what were we going to do to provide the care that the, the education that people needed and what was going to be acceptable to state boards of nursing because we do have to provide direct patient care. And so we spent a lot of time working with the state board to clarify what would be okay. And an even larger amount of time while that clarification was happening, you know, and I'm stopping because I sometimes, I, this sounds terrible, but I felt like St. Ignatius was standing right in back of me because we spent all of our time saying, okay, you need to think about what's best for you. What, and we didn't say desolations and consolations, mm -hmm. but we did say, so we don't know 
what's going to happen with direct clinical care and how much you're going to have to provide and what we're going to do, especially for the seniors who are graduating. And we're working on it. But for right now, where is the best place for you to be? What is it like at home? What is the story, et cetera? My associate dean, Colleen Simonelli, kept on saying to people, you do you. Let's talk about you. What is it that we know and what is it that's going to be the very best decision for you? Knowing that, like St. Ignatius said, there's no, there's no best decisions. There's only the better of bad decisions. I mean, that's how it felt at the time. And so those were kind of tough times in trying to, until we found out what we were able to do. There are lots of wonderful things you can do um, simulated. We have people who are very knowledgeable, great programs. Um, we found other places that we could do clinical and continue to do clinical um, for students who were scheduled over the late spring and early summer. Um, but it's been a lot of um, pivoting on a dime. Yeah, clearly. And Susan, we've had a couple of questions already. There are some, I think, parents on the call who are, you know, heard you mentioning in your earlier remarks the work that Canel does to encourage students to do things abroad. We know that BC has just announced there is no, not going to be fall abroad. What does that mean for your students in particular? And what's your outlook beyond the fall? How important is it to you to try to get back to doing things abroad in the spring? How are you approaching that? So it is very unfortunate that in February, my crystal ball cracked. <laughs> I was doing well, but now I'm not. So we continue to talk to all of our global partners. And if it were possible, we would really like to be able to, we have a trip that goes over spring break. We have trips that go in early January. Um, it's not just where we can go, it's where people want us. So we did hear like from our partners in Australia that you couldn't travel there from the United States. They didn't want us to go, whether we wanted to go or not. So it is that collaborative conversation that at the same time, we need to be working with the communities that we've worked with for so long to see what we can do if we can't be there physically. So we want to get back as quickly as we can, can get back safely. And that's always the question. I think it's good that we're not going anywhere in the fall in terms of global programs because um, there's just too much unknown. Mm -hmm. Susan, when you said a few minutes ago that you've had to become experienced at pivoting on a dime, most of us at BC, you know, the people who know you well, know that one of the things the Canal School is known for is a real spirit of innovation. You know, you as a leader, you've really, you know, demonstrated that in everything you do and the faculty just do that in so many ways. Would you share a little bit about how innovation is a value in the Canal School and what, when you think about innovation in a school of nursing, what does that mean? That's really nice of you to say, first of all, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that nurses are really good problem solvers and are really good at trying to figure out if you can't do it this way, how do you do it that way? And how do you get outcomes? We're very outcome oriented. So when all of this started, we were very fortunate in having people who had used university resources like the Center for Teaching Excellence, knew how to do a lot of things, um, and were very willing to help teach other people. So I, there wasn't any resistance to how do we do this the best way we can. I think some of what um, 
has been really required in terms of innovation is having not only different teaching modalities, but um, different platforms, thinking about if this is the outcome you really want, are there other ways you can do that? We're, we, for example, are teaching a health assessment course, um, second summer session, supposed to be first summer session. And actually the students said, why don't we wait a little longer because maybe life will be a little better, which it is a little better, but maybe not good enough. But thinking about how do we do things with video cameras and having your video yourself so we can see what you're doing and teach you and where do we find people who have done this before and are experts and we've done all that and then now we're also working on and when can we get you back in very small groups to see that we know you'll have learned what you need to learn but we want you to be confident before you go into patient care. So. Um, we're very fortunate, I think, to have so many partners, not only all the people that have helped us get where we are in the globe and have helped us um, have facilities like the labs that we have in the school, but who have done so much to think with us. Um, and we're very lucky to have um, community partners who, and to have so many of our faculty who are working in places. I mean, that was one of the things that was hard. It wasn't just going online. It was that I had all kinds of faculty who were online teaching and then in ICU's places, worrying about their own PPE and then coming home and taking care of kids. I think the faculty in the School of Nursing had a, a greater challenge than a lot of us did. And um, it's a good thing they're such good problem solvers because they did a great job. Yeah, problem solving is such a great way to describe it. Susan, in my, in my opening, I described Aristotle and Addy's background and work. And one of the things that was wonderful to note was they were both involved as undergraduates in the Cannell School in working with faculty on research. Before we welcome them onto the call, would you just talk a little bit about the research component of the work of the School of Nursing and how, how you're able to plug undergraduates into research work? Because in many universities, undergraduates can be walled off from the research enterprise. How does this work in Canal? Yeah, and which would be too bad. We have a great program in the university, undergraduate research fellows. I have a major grant from NIH um, that's helping us to figure out how to provide prenatal care better to minority women. And we've had all kinds of undergraduate research fellows over the past three years that the grant's been funded so far that have worked with us. So. We publish with our undergraduates, we do research with them, they are very skilled in so many things. Um, and many of our faculty, we have faculty that are now doing research. Um, Monica O'Reilly Jacobs is somebody that is looking at what difference does it make in the regulations in terms of advanced practice nurses and have the changes in regulations giving people a broader scope of power made any difference to public safety, et cetera, because maybe it would be more effective and more cost efficient if nurse practitioners were able to be more independent. Um, there are people like Dottie Jones who worked on developing the guidelines that MGH is using in terms of caring for patients. So taking the evidence and using it. And if I could just read you an email that I got from one of our alumni, because I think it speaks as you bring in our alumni who have been on the front to why it is that I thank God every night for being the Dean of the Canal School of Nursing, because when it really comes down to it, this is the answer. I'm gonna to try to do this being a brave Dean. 
So I got this email two days ago and it said, I had the privilege and of meeting and working with several BC undergrad and graduate nurses who came together and created new ICUs for the surge. Having these members on my team was amazing. Not only did we bond over wearing our BC socks on certain days, but we all had the same attitude during our darkest days. The BC nursing education these nurses received was evident in how they relied on their faith in God and in themselves. They trusted that they had been well prepared to not only handle this novel situation, but to lead during it. They trusted that they could learn this new disease and apply all their nursing skills to help combat it, and they succeeded. And she and another person who sent me an email five minutes later both speak to things that they wrote about. And so I think that that's not just the providing excellent care, but the being excellent leaders and being researchers and using the research. I think that we see our faculty and alumni doing it all, and it is unbelievable. So I'm anxious to hear what Addie and Aristotle can tell us. Well, I am too, and I think that's a perfect way to welcome our, our friends and BC alums, our BC nurses onto the call, and let's do that. Aristotle and Addie, would you please join us now? Hey, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. It's great to have you both here. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh, people who have been very interested in being able to join the call and to hear from both of you along with Dean Gennaro. And I want to thank you for giving up time during your busy weeks. I know for both of you, downtime is a precious commodity. And the fact that you're willing to share a bit of your downtime with your BC community, it means the world to us. So thank you for that. Would you guys mind just starting, um, share a little bit about your path to nursing and maybe your path to BC as part of that. Did you know from an early point in your life that nursing was for you and how did BC fit into the equation as you thought about your destination to becoming a nurse? And um, maybe Addie, do you wanna go first then we'll hear from Aristotle? Sure, yeah. Um... I actually did not know that I wanted to be a nurse. I actually grew up in a family of actually a lot of teachers uh, and no nurses. Um, but I knew that probably around sophomore year of high school, I started to consider uh, where I felt my strengths were being played on and the types of environments where I felt I kind of had most energy from. And for me, that was really rooted in being surrounded by people and being on my feet. And then I also uh, kind of noticed that I had a real interest in health and biology and uh, the sciences. So I started to consider things where I could kind of find an intersection between those two and I shadowed physical therapists and occupational therapists and uh, through ex experience of shadowing a lot of professions, I locked in nursing when I realized that for me that felt like the most natural fit. Um, and then BC kind of came into the picture. I, my older brother went to BC and I come from a long line of uh, cousins who have all been to Jesuit schools throughout the country and so I had seen through their examples the kind of impact that going to a Jesuit school can have and I really admired the way that a Jesuit education offers you know formation on of the whole person and not just focus on the academic facet of who someone is but also on um, who they are as a citizen in the world and who they are as someone who's informed and 
has a spiritual life and is part of a community. Those are all very important things to me as I looked um, for a place where I hope to be educated. So um, I, I was honestly shocked when I heard that I got into BC. <laughs> um, I, I had so much admiration for the school um, and was really so thrilled. And it really locked in for me when I went to the Admitted Students Day and I listened to a number of speakers, one who uh, became a real mentor of mine at BC, Father Michael Davidson. Um, he and I kind of collaborated together on a couple of missions to Jamaica to where he grew up and uh, it really solidified exactly the reasons that I did want to go to a place like BC which was to have kind of that holistic education. Thanks so much, Addy. Aristotle, I'll have it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for, for having me. Um, so my choice to get into the field of nursing, I think came from a, sort of the perfect combination of values I had growing up. Um, I come from a, um, family of faith and um, my parents are very selfless individuals so I think they brought me up with that sort of you know using your talents to take care of other people and you know sort of refining that um, idea of selfishness alongside with cultivating your faith while growing up and my absolute love for science I think just combined perfectly um, along with the profession and I had the opportunity in high school to do some shadowing of healthcare professionals and found that um, bedside nursing and all of its, you know, possible tra trajectories, um, you know, is, is almost my calling, it felt like. So when applying for nursing schools, though, you know, Boston College was appealing because it's close to home, my home in New York, um, you know, also in reading BC's mission statement, you know, I found that it really aligned with my, my upbringing and I felt that I could really grow from, you know, four years of learning how to be a nurse from these people. There was actually a BC grad in my very small community um, who was a leader and, you know, when BC came into the conversation, you know, it's like, I want to be like, I want to be like that, that person. So, um, you know, I had that sort of role model working for me as well. And, you know, when I got the acceptance letter, it was almost like a decision made right there. So. Um, it is interesting just listening to both of you, how, you know, you're both talking about the ways in which BC's reputation played a role in your decision. You had this strong sense of what BC was about. And, you know, some cases our students feel that because they, have a generational connection. In other cases, it just comes through meeting alums. And I'm sure you're doing that now as you talk to young people today in your lives who are thinking about nursing and where to go. And, and it's wonderful to hear your, hear your stories. A few minutes ago, Dean Gennaro mentioned that she was upset because her crystal ball broke in February. I have to imagine that for the two of you, there, you could not have imagined when you were approaching your graduation in 2018, what 2020, was going to look like and the things that you would be thrust into in your work. But I'm wondering if, before we start talking about the world of COVID in your, in your lives each day, if you could talk a little bit about looking back on your experience as students at Boston College, are there ways in which you now see that your training, your experience at BC and the Canal School 
help to prepare you for things you couldn't have possibly known were going to come your way. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dean Gennaro was saying earlier that um, a lot of this is unknown territory, but what we have done is we've been prepared and through, you know, four years of undergrad um, kind of garnished with experiences like studying for me, I studied abroad in the Philippines or um, doing immersion in Jamaica with Father Michael or uh, being involved with For Boston and the Healthcare for the Homeless program and Perkins School for the Blind. Those were all, it, it, it's kind of funny now looking back because I don't think at the time I realized that those were all ingredients to preparing me for life. But um, I don't know, you, you often hear it said that BC is not a place that you go to, it's a place that you come from. And I think, um, especially in these unprecedented last few months, I've felt that in so many real ways that, you know, it's scary and it's unpredictable and it's really hard a lot of the times over the last uh, few months. But I, I do really see the ways that BC has prepared me. And that for me in the last few months has looked like um, having really intentional reflective conversations with fellow nurses and family and friends surrounding issues of COVID and um, even more recently like the Black Lives Matter. Uh, and then also um, I, I think that it also has taken shape in, you, you were saying Dean Gennaro, the way that nurses are problem solvers. I think that COVID um, and everything that's gone on in the last few months has required us to be flexible and to be problem solvers. And I think that that has, those, those skills that we employ now as adults, I think were bolstered by our experiences in clinicals as students and our experiences, um, you know, shadowing in all different types of hospitals and doing all sorts of global immersion projects. We, we've been prepared to be okay with the unknown and, uh, to be problem solvers in the face of a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And to speak to that um, as well, Addie brings up great points. You know, we were educated very well, just like in learning how to problem solve. You know, that's our, our day to day, um, especially in the emergency de department and in the ICU. And, you know, um, within, um, you know, as a faculty member or administrator at BC. Um, but, as an undergraduate research fellow, I know, I mean, my experience has been absolutely like, it, it's amazing how relevant it's become to me. So I was working with Susan DeSanto Medea um, with um, family caregivers who lost their loved ones in, in an ICU setting. And um, we sort of analyzed the grieving process. And now, you know, fast forward to me being an independently practicing ICU nurse, I'm, you know, I'm the person that that directly, you know, that it directly becomes relevant to. So being able to apply the findings of your own research at the bedside is like, so rewarding. I mean, it's not an opportunity that every student gets, you know, if you go to every school. So I've been very fortunate um, in having that experience. And um, it looks like since um, we've graduated, BC has developed a palliative care concentration as well. Um, and, you know, I can only encourage, you know, the pursuit of, you know, that kind of additional knowledge that 
the BC Nursing School can, can provide. Um, in addition, um, you know, things on campus like Agape Latte, um, you spend a lot of time at BC learning how to reflect and engage in meaningful conversations and developing rapport with your peers. And it's really important in fostering a strong sense of team. You know, you, you work on the unit and, you know, you're, you're part of the medical team and, you know, it's important to have your role while, you know, knowing how to interact and um, communicate with, with these other people. So um, it's been helpful in multiple ways. Thanks, Arsenal. Susan, you know, um, we've had a number of questions coming in and one observation and question speaks to some things that Ar Aristotle and Addy just touched on, but I want to pose it to you in case there's anything you'd like to add. Uh, this is a nursing alum who writes that after 35 years after her graduation, she's amazed at how versatile her nursing degree has uh, been in terms of expanding her professional opportunities and wants to know a little bit more about how the undergraduate nursing program has expanded student exposure to practical experiences beyond the core practicals. And we've heard a little bit about this from Addie and Aristotle. Is there anything else you want to add about that on that question and things that you think are really important in terms of going beyond the core curricular and practical offerings and things that you're seeing students doing to provide them with experiences that go a little bit outside of those margins to prepare them for a career that might take all sorts of different turns? Well, you know, healthcare is going to change and it's going to change dramatically as a result of COVID. We can see how much this has hit the bottom line of major medical centers and how it's, you know, the um, economic model isn't working so well. We've always known in terms of outcomes that we're the most expensive without the best outcomes in terms of um, quality of life and infant mortality, et cetera. And you know, there are things that we have thought would be great like telehealth that really didn't take much of a life of its own. And so I think what we're going to be seeing now is um, great changes in how we're giving care that I'm glad that we've been very involved in the global public health minor and our faculty has been key in creating that program. Working with the Schiller Institute, I'm very glad that we've been um, so involved in not looking at community health so much, but population health. What do we need to do big time? When we first started in March, you know, we worked with a lot of the health departments as we were not being able to work in clinical sites to think about how can we help your community as things are going on. And that's where it's gonna have to go. In my own research, we're doing a little sub-study right now for pregnant women, it's always been very unclear what you really need in prenatal care and what really makes a difference. And now we're providing much less prenatal care. People who are having their not first baby are thinking, hey, you used to want to see me all the time. Now you never want to see me. What does this mean? And so thinking about what really is important, what really provides outcomes, not just in terms of not having diseases, but in promoting health becomes absolutely critical. And so I think we're really in the place that nursing needs to be that it's always we've always been about promoting health as well as caring for the ill and trying to ensure a great um, death as good a death as um, everybody has and some people have great deaths i have to say that i think that's one of the failures of leadership of nursing is and is that we didn't stand up 
as leaders, I'm publishing an article on this, earlier and harder to say no one should die alone. Mm -hmm. And why can't we leave, let somebody in with the family member who's dying? And we didn't do that for whatever reasons we didn't, but I think we need to look at this whole situation and think about what we have learned and continue working in communities and with communities um, because how I'm gonna get sick has a lot to do with how I've been healthy. And we've always known that. I think we just have better opportunities. And I think people understand advanced practice nurses more than they ever did. So I'm very hopeful that, you know, when you go back and talk to Addie and Aristotle 15 years from now, they're gonna have even more amazing stories to tell. Mm. Well, let's, let's turn to the stories they have to tell today in the time of COVID and what's going on uh, in your lives and how your lives have changed. And, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So I'm going to use some images to amplify uh, the words you might share, because Addie, you've developed quite a following for your photography. It's received some well-deserved attention in New York and, and really around the country. Uh, and what I'd like to do is I'm going to share some of the images that are on a website you keep. And as I'm sharing these images, I'm wondering if each of you would just talk a little bit about what's changed in your day-to-day -day since the advent of COVID. And if you just talk a little bit about your experience. Uh, yeah, so this is a photo project actually that I started back in March. It's called Face of the Front Lines. And the whole goal is to just highlight the people who are sacrificing their own health and the health of their families um, by coming to work, showing up and being there for their patients. So these are some of our frontline transporters, nurses, clerks, registrars, doctors. Um, but yeah, in terms of what's changed in you know the last few months with COVID, uh, I think a huge piece of what has changed is that we've had to decompress the hospital by limiting visitors and family members. And that's been especially challenging in a lot of ways uh, because of the grave nature of a lot of these COVID cases that are being admitted. So the way that's impacted our role as nurses is that we've been kind of tapped on the shoulder to step up in the form of family for a lot of patients. And it's been a challenge in the ER. Imagine coming through the front triage door with your family member who's struggling to breathe and saying, and having someone tell you, you need to go leave and leave your family, trust us and leave your family member and um, you need to go outside, they'll come in with us. And, and just knowing that they could be sick and um, that they are going to have difficult decisions ahead of them and that they're going to be possibly um, you know, alone for that. Um, so I think as a nurse, especially in the emergency room, um, I've been asked several times to step up and, um, you know, explain what an intubation means and prepare a family member, you know, through FaceTime to explain you know, what an intubation is, what our goals of care are, things like that. Um, or the number of times that someone's status is declining and they're looking at you saying, you're going to help me, right? Um, and having to find the right words. Um, maybe there aren't right words, but just trying to be an accompanier in those moments um, 
that that has definitely been one of the biggest changes that we've seen um, in the last few months. I don't think the photos were showing for everyone. Did you guys see the pictures or were they not coming up on your screen? Well, if they didn't, what we'll do afterwards is we'll send you the link to Addie's website uh, so that you can see the pictures for yourself. And um, or if you Google Addie Egan, it's pretty easy to find your way to those pictures. Um, thanks, Addie, for that. Aristotle, what about your thoughts on this? What's been your experience? Yeah, so I've been working with COVID patients since really the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, you know, over the past few months, I think all nurses and the profession as a whole have been asked to do more and more and learn how to practice um, outside of their scope, you know, sometimes and adapt to changing circumstances every day. And, you know, that can be scary, um, definitely to be on the front lines. Um, and, you know, having been at the bedside, treating some of the first COVID positive patients at Beth Israel and, you know, working with them for the past few months, you know, I've not afraid to admit I've been, you know, a little, a little intimidated sometimes, but, you know, I also, um, when I have the time to sit down and reflect on, on especially my BC education, I find comfort knowing that, you know, I've, I've learned the information and I have the skills and, you know, the confidence is there and it just is empowering. And, you know, it allows me to, you know, deduce the information I need from the daily policy changes, guideline changes, and apply that to patient care and, you know, continue to, to take care of the patients that we continue to see. And at that point, if fear becomes, you know, fear goes out the window. And when you have that confidence, you know, it's just you, the medical team and the patient at the end of the day. So it's been quite a, a journey, but um, I know that I've grown a lot and a lot of my peers have, I'm very proud of the work that we've done. Aristotle, was there a moment, you know, you, you prompted a question for me. Was there a moment early in the pandemic when you realized this is going to be very different. This was not a short-term, you know, small situation. This is a big issue, a sea change in your day-to-day, -day, in the country's day-to-day. -day. Do you, do you does anything come to mind when you look back over the past few months? It might, may feel like a blur, but I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, um, it seems like, I mean, now looking back on it, it's so surreal. I mean, I didn't, I would have never thought that, you know, the coronavirus would have been, you know, had it had its grips for this long and, you know, spread this far and is still ongoing. Um, and we continue to face, and now, I mean, we continue to face, you know, even additional obstacles politically and culturally. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of like it, it, we eased into the realization that the coronavirus was you know, a very tangible and, you know, it should be respected and, you know, we need to address it. So um, it definitely was a slow wind up. Um, but, you know, when we start seeing the stay at home mandates, you know, see people who aren't healthcare professionals and have all, and understand, you know, how the virus can work, you know, people getting on board, trying to protect themselves, um, supporting each other in the community. Uh, I think um, 
that's sort of when it became realized for me. Um, and then we started seeing the reflection in the patient populations. We started getting um, working into a, a surge ICU or an overflow ICU. Um, my unit was converted. So, I mean, all these big changes that only happen in, I mean, some organizations call it like disaster mode, but it is very much like addressing something you don't see, you know, every day. So, uh, Addy, how about for you? you did you, did you, I, I'm just curious, had you already been taking photographs and this just became the subject of your photography or did you have a moment early on when you thought this is something I want to document in a very purposeful, deliberate way? I have always been into photography as a hobby and something that I've just loved to do, but this is the first time I've taken it in more of a project, you know, formalized kind of um, route. So I, I did recognize, I think in March when we were seeing this influx of incredibly sick um, people with this novel disease that we were learning so much about and it was affecting so many facets of the way that we have life. I was like, this is something that is going to be history. And um, yeah, there. I mean, for me, there's several moments that it, it became real. I think when we started worrying about the capacity of our hospitals, when we started seeing nurses from, like, were connected to the hospital for special surgery, they canceled all of their elective surgeries and sent their staff um, and redeployed them to our EDs and ICUs. Um, we had several coworkers who um, were admitted, intubated, um, passed, are still in ICUs. Um, and those were people that I worked alongside in early March and have since had um, different outcomes. So there have been several times where this has become real. And um, I am just so grateful to be, you know, I think healthcare is special and that everyone in healthcare signed up for it because they know the risks that are there and they want to do it anyways. And um, I like so admire my colleagues and that's kind of where this whole project was born was just a desire to capture these glimpses of history, but also to um, like just really honor how remarkable the sacrifice is. Um, to keep showing up, watching, you know, your coworkers be affected and have all different outcomes and then continue to show up to work. Um, I just had so much admiration. So that's, that's what the project was all about. Susan, a few minutes ago, Aristotle was talking a little bit about that deep breath moment when he realized this was serious. It was maybe, I was listening to you carefully, Aristotle, and what I was hearing a little bit was that sense of there was maybe a little bit more risk here for you um, as a professional in this world than, you know, anyone could anticipate. Susan, what do you say to parents who have, you know, students who may be on a path toward nursing and may have thought about a nursing profession in one realm two years ago that are now looking at it a little bit differently because of the risks that all of our healthcare providers have been taking on? As a dean, you know, do you have any messages or comments or things you draw on to say to parents or to young people who are wondering about that part of their choice? That's a big question in the nursing community. And I think all of us, I spend a lot of time talking to other Jesuit deans, other deans in Massachusetts. There's a lot of um, 
I don't want to say worry, but there are thoughts about will, will we see more people want to come into nursing because of the heroes like Addie and Aristotle that we're seeing, or are we going to see less because of the fear? And there's a lot of fear um, that is out there. And I don't know the answer to that. I do know that um, I, I'm so glad that there are people like Addie who are documenting this because it is a historic moment and um, I've been really encouraging people to, to do that. Nurses need to say this is our experience and this is where we are. Very proud to have the leaders you see when you look at Aristotle and Addie um, because it has not been that long. We didn't have antibiotics until after World War II, 1947 or something, I think they really came out. We didn't have major vaccinations for some of the viruses like polio. You know, they did the clinical trials in 1955, and that might seem like it was a million years ago, but it wasn't a million years ago. Um, I know my mother was a nurse, and when she went to nursing school, they had a unit called Contagion where you took care of people who had things that were contagious that you might well get like tuberculosis before there were better drugs for it. I think more recently, we have felt a greater sense of security because of antibiotics and antivirals and what kinds of things there are. But I think we've all known, those of us who are in the field, that it's an illusory um, sense of security because I was saying um, and Aristotle smiled yesterday, you know, how many patients have you taken care of that were fevers of unknown origin? You don't know what it is that they might have, infectious or not infectious. And, you know, certainly having lived through things like HIV AIDS, which we didn't know what it was. Um, I was in New York City in an ICU when we had all the, Jim, um, oh, now I'm forgetting his name, the Muppet guy, Henson, um, died of that flesh-eating bacteria. And there was a lot of flesh-eating bacteria in the ICUs in New York right then. And it was a large concern what, why this was so different and how you could really protect yourself. So I think this is a time that people really have to think about um, and, and think about the consolations and the desolations. I wrote an editorial in March that um, I got in a little bit of um, negative comments because I said, you know, it's nice that everybody's stopping at seven o'clock to clap. And if I were in New York, Addie, I'd be clapping for you. There's not a doubt. But I don't really want to be called an angel and I don't really want to be called a saint. I don't mind being a hero or a heroine, but give me the PPE that I deserve. Don't ask me to do things without having proper equipment to do them. You know, my father was an automobile mechanic. I'm a first generation college graduate. I'm very proud of that. And I spend a lot of time trying to make it easier for first graduation, first generation grads. But he would always say, don't give a man, Susan, a job unless you give him the right tool. So if you don't have a Phillips screwdriver and that's what you need, you're not going to get where you need to be. So our job as the world is changing so quickly is to give people the right tools to do the job and to make sure that our Nurses on the front line have the right tools to protect themselves. And if you have it, and we are doing a lot to teach people how to don and doff protective equipment appropriately, how to think about protecting themselves while taking the best care of their patients. If you're doing all that, you're doing what you can do, but there's always risk. 
Boy, you three, we, we, you know, we only have a few minutes left and we've just touched the surface of so many issues that I know we'd like to go into in a lot more depth. There have been a number of really wonderful questions. Let me ask a question or two just to close out and uh, give the three of you an opportunity to sh share some thoughts. I'd like to ask, when you think of the future, Addie and Aristotle, for you both in particular, your early stage of your careers, what's your outlook? Has the you know, events around COVID and all that it's asked of you, and you've been, so much has been asked of you, altered your outlook in any way, one way or the other, when you think about the future of, of your work, your profession? And maybe I'm gonna pair that with a part B of that question. What advice would you have for young people at the Canal School today, say a rising freshman or a sophomore, now that you look back on what you've done? So outlook for the future and advice for the next generation. Yeah, I think um, to, to start, I find myself having a hopeful outlook. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, the coronavirus has had a huge impact. I think when it's all said and done, it won't be something that we're not able to handle. I think we're well-equipped, um, well-informed as a society, as well as professionals um, it, from the BC community. Um, so I'm also very hopeful that future applicants and, and aspiring nurses will, this will sort of reaffirm the kind of work that they could be doing after four years of you know, pursuing their interests. So, you know, while there still is a little bit of an undertone of fear, I think that our work will continue to be inspiring and you will continue to see, you know, leaders in healthcare um, from the BC community, um, you know, continuing to, to make a difference. Um, and for, you know, incoming nurses to BC or soon to be grads, um, you know, have faith in your education. Um, my clinicals were some of the best learning experiences for me. Um, I know it's scary to think of going into clinical and having to work with COVID patients, but I mean, I can, I can definitely speak for myself in that there's, there's something about in-person learning and especially at the, the rigorous medical facilities that DC gets to partner with. I mean, these experiences are, are very significant. So, you know, I encourage you to have faith in the preceptors, the facilities for keeping everybody protected. And, you know, I encourage you guys to continue to share your selflessness and talents with the rest of us. Thanks, Aristotle. How about for you, Addie? Yeah, I think my outlook also feels hopeful. I think I've seen an, in two ways. Um, one, I think COVID has kind of encouraged healthcare systems to shake things up a bit and focus on ways that we can be a little bit more efficient, creative, um, and better at caring for our patients. So 
for that may look like um, you know using telehealth more appropriately for some primary care visits or rather than overwhelming hospital systems for a sub toe now we're telehealthing in a provider and allotting resources a little bit more efficiently um, or even just streamlining the process of um, like the the flow of patients through emergency rooms up to floors and ICUs and um, having a different threshold for who are going to admit to the hospital versus who might be able to actually care for themselves outside of the hospital. I think COVID has forced us to kind of um, reconsider the way that we allot a lot of our resources and think of more streamlined and efficient ways um, for those resources to be used for the sickest people. Um, I also think I'm hopeful because uh, I think I've really seen the best of my coworkers in this whole thing. It's, you know, had us step up to be more self-sufficient and um, educated and informed providers. And it's also asked us to be more compassionate and involved and invested in the holistic care of our patients. Um, and it, it, I feel hopeful too, like from the community of New York, I walk to work every day and like clockwork, seven o'clock, I'll be FaceTiming my mom and dad and grandma there and they're clanging pots and pans in Boston. And I hear the pots and pans still you know, almost, you know, five months later, still consistently at seven every night, people will stop in their tracks on the sidewalk and cheer me on um, on my way into night shift. So I, I do feel hopeful that we have a community and that we're using this as a learning experience and that it's asked the best of us and we're stepping up in a lot of ways that um, I think will prepare us better down the road. Um, and then in terms of advice for uh, incoming or current um, students at the Canal School of Nursing, I would just encourage people to, of course, focus on their academic education, but really invest in the ways that um, you can support your education through uh, different clubs or research or uh, international experiences. I think those, when I look at the person I am today, I, I think, of course, you know, the book smarts are important, but a lot of the way that I think and the kinds of strong friendships that I have, I think I can credit to uh, a lot of the experiences that I invested in outside of the classroom and um, those types of things at BC beyond the classroom prepared me to be someone that's reflective and that really um, values, you know, strong friendships and things like that. Well, thank you both. And Susan, we're at one o'clock and I hope you agree with me that the best thing we can do is leave the last word with Addie and Aristotle. They're such wonderful reflections of the work that you and your faculty do. Uh, I'm very proud. And I know all the people that are on the call who have helped us in so many ways must be feeling similarly proud. How wonderful to be able to say, I'm their dean. Thank you very much. Yeah, lots of words of encouragement and support coming in uh, from people on the call today and from all of us. So let me say thank you to the three of you for a wonderful conversation. Thank you to those of you on the call who joined us today. We hope you'll be back with us on the 29th. And to Addie and Aristotle, stay safe, take care of yourself, and be well. Thank you. Thank you very much.